Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. You're listening to the Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved media. My name is Thomas Clark, and this is Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. My brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe... Aang can save the world. Today we will be discussing Avatar The Last Airbender, Season 3, Episode 5, titled The Beach. Yet another one of my favorite episodes of this entire show. This is a goddamn masterpiece. It is an incredible achievement in television. It is absolutely freaking magnificent, and I love it more and more and more every single time I watch it. This episode, it's so ingenious in that... It takes all of our quote-unquote villains and puts them in a situation that is so aggressively normal, so unassuming, so innocent. They're just going to the beach. They're just taking a, albeit forced, but still taking a vacation on Ember Island. And they're just walking around, having fun on a beach, going to parties, like being teenagers for once. In this entire show. And all the little arcs they go through, the tiny little like micro issues they deal with, Throughout the whole thing, it serves to make them so insanely relatable in a way that no other show would never attempt. Like a lesser series. I know I've been making these types of statements the entire time I've been talking about this show. But a lesser series would never have even thought to have this episode be a thing. Would never have even thought... Would never have even thought... To do anything close to this. They would just be like, yeah, they're they're villains. They're bad people. So let's have them just be like, I'm evil the entire time. And never even think to just have them deal with such mundane issues that bring them down to our level. It's magnificent. It's magnificent that the they even attempted this, let alone that it worked so perfectly. Like right from the opening sequence, uh, Zula, Zuko, Man Dai Li all going to Ember Island and meeting up with Lo and Lee and having that very, very <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> arrival 
at their home. Ugh. I still can't get them, like, recreating that one picture out of my mind. It's it's etched into my brain. It's so creepy. It's so creepy. Like, right from that opening sequence, it's just, like, it's immediately, immediately entertaining, immediately engaging, immediately it's just this infectious ball of joy surrounding our villains. These are the people we're supposed to hate. That's how good this show is. That's how well they do character. And then, like, they go to the beach. And they have, like, this wonderful, wonderful sequence. You got uh, Ty Lee just going on the beach and attracting all these boys. <laughs> like, a million different boys come up to her and try to impress her. <laughs> and she's just, like, using them for her own gain. <laughs> Zuko and May are... Awkwardly sitting underneath an umbrella to protect them from the sun. Because goth. (laughs) And, like, Zuko's just awkwardly trying to do nice things for May, and May's just like, no, why would you think I'd like that? (laughs) It's great. Meanwhile, Azula's just looking at everyone like, I hate this. I hate everything about this. And then they do that volleyball game, which is great. Like, Zuko, Azula, Mei, Tai Lee just doing volleyball very aggressively <laughs> against these unassuming kids. Like, Azula points out a childhood injury. I almost said industry. A childhood injury on one of the players. And it's like, serve it to her left and we'll destroy her and her entire team. And they do that. At one point, the net lights on fire and Azula goes on this villainous monologue. And they're just like, yeah, that was fun. (laughs) It's so good. And then, of course, they all get... Invited to this douchebag's party. And I love the decision Azula makes to say, Hey, you know what? It'd be interesting if people didn't know we were the princess and prince of the Fire Nation. It'd be interesting if people didn't know we were royalty. Whatever. We'll just act like normal people. Like, it just, it puts them in an even more relatable position to just be normal. To just be something other than these devil figures. And it makes me care about them, again, infinitely more. It really, really does. And then they go to said party... They show up way too early. (laughs) And I love Azula's justification of it. You said you'd be partying from dusk till dawn. It's dusk. 
so we're here. Uh, that was just an expression. We are the perfect party guests. We arrive right on time and punctual. <laughs> it's... Oh my god, it's so great. <laughs> Ty Lee's getting cornered by a bunch of uh, the dudes she met on the beach. And she's get getting very uncomfortable, so she just takes them all down. <laughs> Seeming very apologetic for it. And then Ty Lee and Azula have this whole conversation where Azula just rips into Ty Lee and then Ty Lee starts to cry and Azula in this rare human moment is like oh 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 sorry I didn't mean that I'm just I'm just jealous because you are getting old boys and they're not and they're not paying attention to me they're ignoring me and Ty Lee's like wait what why you're the most amazing woman ever. And Azula's like, well, yeah, I know, but they're not recognizing that. <laughs> it's like, she goes from bitch to human to bitch again. <laughs> and then Ty Lee just coaches her in the art of flirting with boys. Like, it's just, it's great. It's a fantastic little moment. It's amazing. And when Ty Lee gives her the advice of just smile a lot and laugh at everything he says, even though, even if it's not funny. And Azula's like, that seems shallow and stupid. Let's try it. <laughs> I love this episode so much. It's so great. Oh, I completely skipped over Azula commenting on that douchebag's sharp outfit. How he how he could puncture the hull of some Fire Navy ship, leaving hundreds to die at sea. Because it's so sharp. I completely skipped over that like a dumb. And then I love Azula and this douchebag going out on to balcony and just having this nice tender moment a really beautiful scene where they flirt for a bit they joke about sand in a way that's like the exact opposite of attack of the clones <laughs> there's actually some form of enjoyment to them talking about sand like, Attack of the Clones ruined sand, and then Avatar The Last Airbender revitalized it again. Now we can talk about sand. And then, like, they have this really nice romantic moment where, like, they kiss, and then Azula ruins it by coming on too strong again and saying, Together? You and I will be the strongest couple in the in the world. We will dominate the earth. <laughs> and then the dude's like, "Uh, I gotta go." And Azula's like, "Well, that happened, and it's never mentioned again." 
<laughs> Which somehow the fact that it's not mentioned only makes it better. Somehow the fact that they never mention this scene ever again in this entire episode... Somehow it makes it a better scene. I don't know why that is the case, it just is. And then at the same time... Zuko's getting all jealous of the douchebag's friend. Zuko leaves to get May some food. Then he sees the douchebag's friend talking to May. And then he fights him. And then May's like, hey, stop being a dick. And then they get into this big argument. And then May breaks up with him. Zuko leaves. And then he's just walking around the island. Comes across their old home because, remember, I didn't mention this before, but remember, Zuko and Azula spent summers on this island, on Ember Island, when they were kids. So Zuko goes into this house and takes his trip down memory lane and sees, like, the picture of his family... Has all these flashbacks of happier times. And then, of course, Azula finds him. And we get this brilliant, brilliant campfire scene. Oh, my God. See, up until this point, the episode's just been brilliant in terms of making our villains relatable. Making our villains seem normal. Bringing them down to our level. But now, there are some huge, huge character revelations in this brilliantly crafted scene. And it's amazing. It's absolutely magnificent. Zuko burns the family portrait. And Tylee's like, wait, why are you doing that? Argue, argue, argue. Zuko calls Tylee a circus freak. And then she goes into this rant about why she joined the circus. Uh, how she grew up with six sisters who looked exactly like her. And felt like she just didn't exist. That she didn't even have a name. So she went to the circus to be her own person. And says the line, Circus Freak is a compliment. That line, just on its own, is perfect. Like, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's extraordinary. It really, really is. And it's great because up until this point, Tylee's been great up until this point. But let's be honest, she's kind of just been there. She's there for like comedic relief. Being around Azula. But now we actually get a window into who she is as a person. Now we actually get some backstory. Now we actually get... An arc surrounding her. And it's incredible. It's amazing. It's a brilliant, 
brilliant moment. So they kind of just literally say that Ty Lee has attention issues. That's why she joined the circus. That's why she's become this eccentric, exaggerated person. That's why she flirts with all these boys. Because she was part of a matched set, as she put it, and then she broke free of that. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. And then the focus shifts to May. Who everyone complains like doesn't feel anything. Like at all. Especially Zuko. And May talks about her life growing up with her mother and father. How her mother constantly told May to basically just shut up, don't talk, don't do or say anything, just be in the background because we have your father's political career to worry about. She basically spent, she spent her entire childhood as a prop, really. Which, by the way, given the home I grew up in, with my father, I am convinced only having kids for the sympathy points. Like, literally every time me and my father went out in public, he'd be like, Hey, here's my son. I have a son, everybody. I have a son here. There, There's a child that came out of my balls. Here you go. Like me. Because I'm a father. As someone who grew up in a home with a father like that, like, this really resonates with me. This really hits close to home. And because she basically spent her entire childhood as a living, breathing prop and wasn't allowed to express herself at all, that is why she ended up being this blah, whatever, nothing really matters. That's why she ended up being this monotone, depressed, dreary person. Again, taking an otherwise fairly gimmicky character and giving her depth, giving her nuance, giving her a reason to be the way she is. And then there's Zuko. Talking about how for so long he thought that if he captured the Avatar and got home, that it would be enough. That gaining back his father's love would be enough to fill the void within him. But that hasn't happened, and he's just angry. 
He has his father's love. His father even thinks he's a hero, but somehow that's not enough for him. It doesn't fix whatever's quote-unquote wrong with him. And now he's just angry all the time. And I love how Azula, May, and Tylee are all pressing him, trying to figure out, like, who he's angry at. Trying to get him to verbalize why he's angry. And they throw out suggestions that he's angry at father, that he's angry at Uncle Iroh, that he's angry at Azula, even. But then he has this big outburst where the flames rise up and he just yells out, I'm angry at myself. He is angry at himself. Because he's confused. Because he's conflicted. Because he doesn't know right from wrong anymore. Because he's not as sure as he always was of what the right thing for him to do is. And, oh my god, this little monologue. This is one of the reasons, like the things that Zuko says in this monologue, it's one of the reasons why I genuinely believe that he is one of the greatest character that that he is one of the greatest characters ever created in any narrative anything ever. It's such a perfect moment. And then it all goes to Azula. And Azula's like, oh, good performances, everyone. What, you think? Think I have a sob story? I don't I don't have anyone. I mean, I could tell you about how my mother loved Zuko more than me. And how how that affected me. My own mother. Thought I was a monster. She was right, of course, but it still hurt. <laughs> like, oh my god, like there's this tiny little brief moment. I'm just Azula reflecting on her own traumas of her own mother not loving her the way she loved Zuko. Or at least that being how she perceives it. It's such, and how she dismisses it immediately and doesn't confront it the way May, Tylee, and Zuko all confronted their various deals. Like, it's so perfect for that character while also reflecting on her own traumas and also providing more depth to her. Like, Azula was made for her father, Zuko was made for his mother. And they both craved the other's love. It's so poetic and brilliant. I love it. And then after all this, we have an amazing, amazing ending. Where they just go and trash the party. (laughs) Trash this douchebag's house. Which is so satisfying. It's so freaking satisfying. In every possible sense. 
And then the episode's over, you get that little portrait of all four of them, like, looking so happy outside of this burning building. (laughs) And that's all without even getting into the subplot of Aang, Katara, Sokka, and Toph going up against this metal man that Zuko hired. Which is brilliant! Which is amazingly well-crafted. And they made a very good choice of putting this initial encounter in the background. Because I don't think they could have done more with this than they did. But this encounter that they have is so, so great. Aang swimming around with his tattoos out. And going down that water slide... And then some Fire Nation soldiers see him without Aang knowing. They send a messenger hawk. That hawk gets intercepted. And then this dude finds Aang, Katara, Sokka, and Toph. And then we get the reveal. The incredible, incredible reveal. That this dude can firebend with his mind he can blow things up with his mind there's like a tattoo and he shoots explosions out of the tattoo it's like a third eye almost and it's so extraordinary it looks so good like, every time shit blows up, it looks, like, hauntingly beautiful and so intimidating. Like, it's it's amazing, the reveal, and how everyone's just not prepared for it. No one is prepared for this to be a thing. No one was expecting that to happen. And then they go on this, they have this amazing, amazing fight between Aang and this dude. They have an incredible, incredible fight. So everyone else can get an oppa and escape. It's so perfectly handled. It's extremely well done. I love it. There's some amazing shots. I love that shot where the dude shoots an explosion out and Aang's just airbending it away from himself and it goes into slow motion. Oh, it's so good. It's all so good. And then they all get an oppa and escape and they're like, oh, that was random. Uh, actually, no. I get the feeling he knows who we are. And then, they just fly away to fight this dude another day. And trust me, they will fight him another day. We will get more of this dude. Oh my god. Oh, I love this episode. I love literally every single thing about this episode. It is so perfect. In every possible sense. One of the greatest episodes of this entire show. Just, my god. My freaking god. I can't praise this episode enough. Like, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it in any show ever. No show has spent so much time getting you to hate a certain group of characters, getting you to fear a certain group of characters as villains, and then takes those same characters and gives them their own episode where they just do something 
so incredibly mundane and normal and brings them down to our level, increases their relatability to such an extreme extent. No other show has done that, especially not a quote-unquote kid show like this. It's perfect. Like, this episode, this is one of the reasons why I love Avatar so much. This episode is a perfect example of what makes Avatar The Last Airbender so damn perfect. One of the greatest shows ever made. God, it's so good. I gotta shut up before this goes for an hour. This has already gone on longer than I thought it would for some reason. If you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's as simple as just a push of a button on the Anchor app. I will play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark. Pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support this show via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Tomorrow, or not tomorrow, on Monday, we will be discussing Avatar The Last Airbender Season 3, Episode 6. Talk to you then.